We're going to be in a couple of places tonight. First Kings chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 16 are the two main places that we will look at as we continue our series on God's boot camp, looking at how we prepare our spirit, how we develop our spirit, walk into spiritual things. We're going to take a look today at setbacks. Because just about all of us have setbacks, spiritual setbacks, and we need to get past them. Because sometimes our setbacks are keeping us back from what we're supposed to be going after. But we don't want that to be holding us back, keeping us back from anything. And if you have a setback, it doesn't mean that you have to have to stop. You can keep going. One of the examples we'll look at here is Elijah. We all know Elijah. He had this great victory on Mount Carmel and all kinds of good things happen. And tell you, when we have good victories in life, sometimes it just seems like it invites attacks. Or if we just get to a place where we're just kind of sitting up there and say, boy, I guess I'm all right. And then here comes something knocks us right down. And that happened to Elijah. After all that stuff going on in the mountain and the water over the altar and the fire from heaven and the prophets of Baal being slain and all that sort of stuff that was going on, then the queen says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs and hides. That's not going so... So continuing in the same kind of victory that he had before. We put in your outline this. Usually setbacks are from our wrong response to something simple. Setbacks don't come because the devil desires to set you back. Setbacks come because of your wrong response. You must understand that. Now, we, we went over these principles years ago. This, uh, in fact, that very line I actually used before. Some of you have been around long enough. Had to be a long time. <laughs> but may still may remember that one. But usually setbacks are from our wrong response to something simple. But we just had a wrong response. And usually the response is generated from a buildup of emotions, not a reaction to a single event. Elijah, when he, when he reacted to the queen, it was not just the queen. Apparently there was a whole lot of stuff building up in him. And he lets it out when he gets before God. He tells us a whole lot of stuff that was going on. And your emotions, you've got to be careful. Brother Hagin used to always tell us about that. Don't let your emotions rule you. Now, some people are more emotional and some people are less emotional. But just don't think that just because you're more emotional that you can't win this battle and because you're less emotional, you don't have it. We all have the battle. But just don't let your emotions rule you. You can rule over them. See, some, some people look at others and they say, well, they have no emotions. No, we all have emotions. But sometimes we, we, they just rule us more. And you've got to get over that part of them ruling you. Don't let that be, be that way. We are called to live by the Spirit. That's our calling, right? Live by the Spirit. That's what the Word of God says. We're not called to live by the flesh or live by the soul. We are divided into three. We, we have a body. But we are a spirit. And as we are a spirit and we have a body, we also, or we are, we are a, we are a spirit, we have a body, we also have a mind. We have a soul. That's where your emotions ride. Your emotions don't ride in your spirit. They reside in your soul. They reside in your mind. But don't let those things rule you. If you do, you'll be set up for a setback. Elijah was set back because his emotions got the best of him. 
And Elijah, you take a look at him and the stories we have, it doesn't seem like this is a very emotional individual. But apparently they, they built up in there and all of a sudden they came on out. In Hebrews, in the fourth chapter, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Thoughts and intents are different. Joints and marrow are different. Soul and spirit are different. It is the Word of God that divides them. They seem to be so close together that people can mistake one for the other. But the Word of God is what separates soul and spirit. It is the Word of God that will do it. So I put in your outline, well, how does the Word of God do this? How does the Word of God separate your soul from your spirit? How does it make that... How is it so sharp that it's able to get in there and divide that, that soul and that spirit? Because there's a whole lot of Christians out there who mistake what goes on in the soulish area for what goes on in the spirit. And that won't help you. Now, let me give you this example. How many of you have ever done any form, any type of weightlifting? Some of you have done it. I mean, just got in there and somebody just told you something about it or you got in there and did a little bit. I'm not saying you had to be a bodybuilder or anything like that. But if you get on those machines or if you do those free weights, now I've done them some and I've had instructors and I've had people, you know, coaches and stuff like that. They'd all try and help you out with that. If you get involved with it to any degree, you will learn that the weight lifting that the uh, universal machine that you use or whatever kind of name machine is on that, whatever is there, it is to take your body in a certain way. And if the body follows that way, and if you do what it says, because if you go to every station, they're all listed. Put your back here. Put your arms here. Hold your shoulders here. The seat needs to be at this height. Now, it's all reason for that because your body loves to cheat. <laughs> and if you get into weightlifting, you'll find out about cheating. And I had a, a, a real good one when I first got started in it. And he told me about cheating. And he said, he'd watch me. Now, you're cheating. You're cheating on that one. Don't do that. Well, what's the difference? I'm still lifting the weight. I mean, what? come on. So I got an arch in my back. Big deal. <laughs> So the seat's a little higher or the seat's a little lower or, or whatever. What's the big deal? I'm still lifting it. I'm still doing this. And then sometimes if you didn't have somebody following you, I had this the first time I was doing it. I, I didn't have somebody follow me for after the initial setup. And I started going. And, you know, after you go for a while, you increase the weight and you increase the weight. Boy, this is looking pretty good. I'm increasing the weight and stuff like that. And then here comes the instructor back on it. What are you doing? And they get you back to doing the right way. And all of a sudden the weight goes way down. <laughs> Not quite doing the same weight before. How come? Because you can't cheat. Your body tries to get muscles involved that were not supposed to be involved in the exercise. And other muscles get involved and then the main muscles that you're targeting are not getting the workout that they're supposed to get. And so it's called cheating. And so when you go that way, though you go through the motions that this, this person over here did, though you're lifting more weight than that person over there, they're getting more benefit out of it. Because they're staying disciplined and they're, stick, they're keeping to the muscles that, are, that need to be there that that machine is going to develop. 
It's extremely important. It's the same way with this. If you get involved in doing things to develop your spirit and cheat, you develop your soul. You'll develop your soul. Because what happens is you're taking stuff in the soulish realm, interpreting it as spiritual, and thinking you're building up the spiritual, and you're not. You're building up the soul. You're not helping yourself out. But in your mind, you've created this idea of who you are and what you are in the spirit realm because you've gone through all these exercises and you're up to all this weight. You start off with 50 pounds and now you're up to 120. How good all that is. And find out you haven't developed your spirit at all. You haven't developed that muscle group at all. In fact, if you get back down to just isolating that muscle group, you're about, probably back down to less weight you had before. <laughs> and that's discouraging. But it does you no good to develop your soul if you're trying to develop your spirit. And so it is the Word of God that develops our, or that separates the soul and the spirit. It is the Word of God. So how does the Word of God do this? Because first off, the Word of God is not soul food. The Word of God is spirit food. The Word of God, your soul doesn't like the Word of God a whole lot. Your soul gets mad. It gets angry. It gets hurt. It get all, but your spirit... <laughs> spirit laps it up. Spirit, give me more. Give me more. You can listen to, to, a, to a speaker, teacher. You can listen to them in your soul and you can listen to them in your spirit. You listen to them in your soul, you get all hurt and offended. You listen to them in your spirit. Even though they stepped on your toes, even though they taught you stuff that you didn't like, you say, give me more. Give me more. Come on, give me more. I want more. Yeah, 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 I need that. Because you've tied into your spirit. And you understand it's feeding your spirit. And you can tell the difference in that. But there's some people out there, they just want their souls fed. Not nobody here. Other churches, faraway places and other countries and things like that. <laughs> Not speaking to any of you folks here. No, we, we get out there and they just want, uh, they want their emotions. They want to feel good when they get out of, the, out of, out of there. After they hear the Word of God, I, want to, I just want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good. No, that's not, you, go, you want to feed your spirit. You've got to feed your spirit. That's how you want to do it. You know, there's certain foods that you can eat that feed your body better than others. You know, Twinkies taste good. But they don't, they have that feeling they leave on the inside. It's just not so good. But you know, vegetables, they don't taste as good, but they do, they, they build up your body a lot better. They feed your body a lot better. The Word of God is spirit food. It's not soul food. It's spirit filled. Spirit, spirit food. The Word of God is not there to make your emotions feel okay. It may minister to your emotions as well. But through your spirit, it'll do it. How does the Word of God make the division? How does the Word of God make the division? It is your spirit that benefits from obedience to the Word of God, not your soul. Your spirit benefits from it. Your spirit is built up from it. Your spirit is made stronger. Your soul says, I don't want to do that. It doesn't make me feel good. I don't like that. That's not feel-good stuff. But your spirit says, ah, that's what I need. That's what, that's what I need. Yep, give me that. 
and it, it builds it up. And if you can tune into your spirit more, you can pick out word food from other junk that's out there. Because there's a whole lot of junk that's out there. But you can pick up on it. The Word of God makes that division. It's the Word of God. I've got to hear the Word of God, set it into my spirit, and then obey it. And do it. And it'll divide between my spirit and my soul. I bet you some folks that are here right now, you could say, well, I couldn't necessarily tell the difference if something came to my soul or something came to my spirit. And that's all right. Admit it. It's helpful to know where you are and locate yourself. I got I to gotta pick that up better because I can hear something in my soul, in my emotions, in my mind and think it's the Spirit of God and go off on it. And people do. And they, they're totally convinced. Now, you know the extreme ones. The extreme ones are, you know, this week they heard from God and I'm going to do this. And the next week, well, we heard from God again and we're going to do something different. Now, that's easy to tell. That's a soulish person. Almost fleshly. Total flesh person. They just go after the, the things that they want to do, the things that make their, their body, their flesh feel good. But soulish people aren't far off from that. Without growing in the Word, we cannot make the distinction of being led spiritually from soulishly. But it is imperative if you're going to build up your spirit to know when you build up your spirit to when you build up your soul. To when you're following after your spirit leading or when you're following after your soul leading. It's imperative that you learn that. Your emotions are not always the same as the Holy Spirit's. Please understand that. <laughs> your emotions are not always the same as the Holy Spirit. Just because you were born again Spirit-filled believer and you feel something doesn't mean the Holy Spirit does. You could be totally on your own on the thing. Out there, the Holy Spirit says, I don't know what you're talking about. Samuel, he's down there feeling all kinds of pain for Saul. What's the Holy Spirit feeling? Nothing. I'm done with him. Move on. Let's go. Just because you have those emotions doesn't mean that the Spirit of God does. So your emotions are not always the same as the Holy Spirit. Don't try and pass them off on him. That's a soulish person. You cannot discern the difference between what is spirit and what is soul. And you're going to pass off your emotions as being that of God. And if you come off, come across as spiritual or if you, you run into somebody they come across as spiritual and they start doing this, you'll want to follow along because they're a spiritual person and they're saying God's this way so I'm going to pick up on that emotion. And you follow it after the soul. You're not developing your spirit at all. And a soulless person has led you into being a soulless person. That's why it's so important to, to know where the Spirit of God is on that. I mean, you all remember, I think... Uh, one of the videos, not recently ones, but some of the ones before, Brother Keith Moore was sharing uh, one of his experiences when he was driving Brother Hagin around. And he was driving Brother Hagin around and Brother Hagin's in the back seat. And all of a sudden, out of the back, you hear this, Whee! Boy, y'all feel that? And Brother, Brother Keith said, I didn't feel nothing. <laughs> and uh, he said, I didn't know what to do. Here's a prophet of God in the back seat. Hooting and hollering like the Spirit of God's doing something and I feel nothing. What do you do with that? And so he just was honest and he says, uh, no sir, I didn't feel that. He said, me neither. <laughs> he would have identified him as a soulish person, wouldn't he have? Yeah, Brother Hagin did stuff like that to some of those people. 
But in uh, take another look at Elijah. Let's take a look at his his setback here in First Kings chapter nineteen. First Kings chapter nineteen and verse one. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, "So let the gods do to me, and more also." If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He thought he was. He thought he was better. He thought he was something different. Is that a spirit man or a soulish man? There's a mighty prophet of God, Elijah. You can see soulish tendencies in him. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left and they seek to take my life. Well, here's what we see as a soulish person that the first thing is there's a, there's a strong self-awareness. A soulish person is very strongly aware of who they are, what they've done, and what they've suffered. Very strongly aware of it. I know how good I've been for God's name. I know what I've suffered for God's name. I know what everyone else is not doing. I know what I am doing. We are very self-aware. Isolation. No one else is as faithful. You want to get find a real fast track into a soulish area? Get yourself isolated. You'll see the tendencies, the pressure here to isolate yourself. No one else is as good as you are. No one else is seeking after God the way you are. No one else is as smart or is, or is walking as much revelation, has the kind of prayer life, whatever it is. It's, no one's as powerful. Elijah, he's the only one. No one else is out there. God's apparently in action. People that get into the soulish area find themselves more active than God. I'm out there doing all this. God, what you've been up to? I don't see you doing anything. This is a very soulish person. God's apparent in action. God is not keeping me out of harm's way. God's not doing this. I've been preaching to people. God hasn't been preaching to anybody. I've been performing miracles. God hasn't been doing anything. You can get very much into that type of a, of a, of an idea. Fear. I'm afraid to operate at the level I've grown to operate in. Elijah had come to operate at a certain level. Now all of a sudden he's afraid to do that. This is the soulish person. And you can see some of the signs of this in, in Elijah. Now he snaps out of it. He gets out and goes on back and glory, glory to God for that. But God, I'm working hard here. 
I mean, look at me. Look at all that I'm putting out. Look at all the effort. I know no one is concerned about it. No one, you're just a soulless person. I know I'm, I'm trying hard. No one is helping me, not even God. I perceive I'm out of my own and it scares me. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't exactly what I signed on for. This is a soulless person. This is a person whose emotions, whose mind, whose mental realm has totally overtaken that of the Spirit. And now the Word of God, in order to come in, has to feed your soul. But it's not soul food. It's spirit food. And you don't understand why it's not ministering to you the same way. You get into prayer, and prayer is spirit food, not soul food. A whole lot of people go into prayer to get their emotions to feel better. Prayer is not to do that. That's why they are in prayer an hour or two. Trying to get their emotions to feel better. See, you pray effectively, you can pray five minutes and get on and get going. But soulish people get on their hands and knees and pray and pray and pray and pray and plead and plead and plead and try and move God. Now, there is a place for intercession to do that. But it's in the realm of the Spirit. And you got with your spirit, tap into the Spirit of God. you got to know what that Spirit of God is saying to you. But people that are in the soulless realm, they don't know what this is. All they hear is their emotions. Then their emotions steer them. I don't feel like I got the answer. I don't feel this. I don't feel that. So what? What you feel? What's your spirit telling you? What's your spirit telling you on that? Now, I'll give you a, a current case in point what we could do. Jim Stortbecker was in surgery today. Now, I, I didn't, I, when I knew there was a time, I gave a call just to get the report because I told you all I'd have a report for you. But all through the day, I didn't sit there laboring in prayer over the whole thing. I simply went to God and said, God, I don't feel a single check in my spirit. I said, if anything was going on, you'd tell me about it. I'd feel it in my spirit. I don't feel a thing in my spirit at all. Now, see, if I was going to be a soulish person, then I'd just, I'm just going to go over here and pray for an hour. And then I can go over to Jim and say, Jim, I've prayed for you for all hour today. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd minister from my, my mental realm, my soulless realm. And I'd be praying to God in the soulless realm. Would be doing any good? Not any good at all. But see, there's other times when, when all of a sudden the Spirit comes up and says, something's up. Something's wrong. Something's going on. Brother Hagin shared a story with us on that. But, uh, he was, he was, I think it was either his story or he was telling us, I think he was actually telling us about another pastor that had this. And uh, the Spirit of God woke him up in the middle of the night. And, and they just felt like in their spirit, because they had no reason why they were woke up, just felt like in their spirit someone's life was in danger. But they didn't know who. Didn't know how. Didn't know anything about it. But it was, just, it was down in their spirit. They understood the difference between their soul and their spirit. And it was in their spirit. So they got and they, they just prayed, sought after God for a while. It, nothing. So then they... Uh, Actually, I think it was the wife. I think she was getting more of it, and and she kept waking him up. And so he'd wake up, and so they'd pray, and mm-hmm. and then um, he'd fall back to sleep again. And she she just couldn't sleep. It just wasn't wasn't uh, quite right. And so she'd wake him up again. Ah, I still feel. And so they get out there and they pray. And I think after the third time, the husband just said, "Well, he says I I want to get some sleep here tonight. So why don't we pray this way?" <laughs> said Father God, we just pray that you reveal this night. To whomever's life is in danger, you reveal to them what's going on. And after they prayed that way, both of them fell fast asleep. 
Now, since they were up most of the night, they didn't get up bright and early in the morning. They slept in a little bit longer since all that was going on. And um, as it turned out, the, one, of their, one of their members had a job on a construction site. And the one person who, who ran this, heavy, this crane, this, this thing up in the, up in the air, um, wasn't in today. And so the foreman came over to this church member and he says, you go on up the, to the crane and you, you, uh, you operate it. And so he got out there and started walking up on the ladder, got about halfway up, came back down, says, I'm not going to do it. He says, well, how come you won't go up there and do that? He said, because I had a dream last night that so-and-so didn't make it into work today. And that you asked me to go on up there and to do that. And I went up there and did it. And the, the uh, cable was weak and it snapped, took my head off, and it landed right down here by where I'm standing. And so one of the other workers, he was a church member, a Christian, stood up and says, well, I'm not superstitious, I'll go up. And so he climbed on up there, got up there, operated the machinery, the cable snapped, went flying around, took his head right off, and the head hit the back of the man who had the dream, wouldn't go up. <laughs> if you wonder, why, how come that other Christian... How can God didn't protect him? Well, he didn't seek after his spirit. It's, it's serious business. You got to seek after God in your spirit. Pursue after that. But uh, that was the situation they were praying about, and they they got released on that when they prayed that way, and and uh, God gave them that dream in the nighttime, and because he listened, his life was spared. He could have not listened, gone ahead and done it. But it's not about emotions. It's about spirit. If you follow after your emotions, you will have a setback in life. You have a setback in your Christian walk. Don't follow after emotions. Don't be like Elijah here. But turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Let's take a look at this. We're covering just about the whole chapter. Begin over at verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. Is this a soulless person? No, it's a flesh person. They operate by what they see. A soulless person operates by what they feel. What they sense. A flesh person only goes by what they see. If I see it, I believe it. That's a flesh person. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Well, as Jonah was three days in the belly of a whale, so the Son of Man shall be three days in the heart of the earth. That's the sign of Jonah. So we had these, these folks here, Pharisees and Sadducees. They came testing him. He calls them wicked and adulterous for seeking a sign. And no sign shall be given to it, is what he says. Now keep that in mind. Let's move over to verse 5. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. 
But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, here you get a glimpse into the disciples that the disciples are soulish people at this stage of the game. They are soulish people. Because, here's how they're, they're being led. He gives them a spiritual principle. Here's the spiritual principle. Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's a spiritual principle. They hear the spiritual principle and they interpret it in light of their, what they see? Their feelings. I know. He's, he's yelling at us. He's exhorting us because we forgot to take bread. I feel like he's just, I feel that he's getting on our case because we forgot to take bread. That's what I feel like. Yeah, I'll bet you that's what he meant by it. That's what he's saying. And so here's a spiritual principle and they only heard it as far as he didn't take bread. How many times the Word of God has spoken spiritual principles and people understood it in the soulish realm? And they come out with such a stupid thing as this is. I mean, this is stupid. This is just ignorant. And Jesus, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Are you? That's what you come up with? I say, take heed to the, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and you come up with, we didn't bring bread. This is a soulish person. If you operate, if you build up your soul, if you build up your mind, thinking you're building up your spirit, then you get tremendous truths from the Word of God from the soulish realm. We brought no bread. How many times people have been out there coming up with great things? Great areas. Soulish. Soul, and they can't see. They think it's profound. I was telling my wife um, last night after hockey, I was talking to a, a, an individual I've been having a few conversations with, but he hooked me up with somebody else he wanted me to talk to. And so we got on the, on the thing. We we're talking about the Word of God and, and uh, some things in there. And he was under the impression, among a lot of false impressions, that first off, Christians couldn't live sinlessly. So I said, why do you think that? He says, because I don't believe that you can. I don't feel like you can. He operated in a soulless realm. So I gave him a script. I gave him a scripture. How come John writes to us and says, brethren, I write these things to you that you do not sin. If he's telling us not to sin, isn't it possible that we cannot sin? No, I don't think so. But he says that you do not sin. Is that not what John? Well, it's John writing. I said, you don't believe the Word of God is inspired? He says, I believe that people made mistakes. And then he saw fire in my eyes because he actually backed up for me a little bit. Because when I was talking about coming out to church and coming out to church and he's trying to find out you know, where we work doctrinally, I says, well, let me tell you something. You will not be comfortable at our church ever if you do not first off assume that the Word of God is the Word of God. And I got on it so bad he actually backed up. He says, I can see I hit a sensitive spot. <laughs> I said, you better believe it. I said, the Word of God is, is perfect and I will not stand back and judge which parts are right and which parts are wrong. 
So let me go on to some other parts. It says, Jesus said, Be ye perfect as I am perfect. Did He give us a command we can't live up to? Now, he, he kept, I gave him about three or four scriptures altogether. And all he could come back with is, I don't feel like you, you can. Where's his realm? He's in the soulless realm. But see, there's a whole lot of Christians and they hear that and they operate there and they think it's God. They're thinking, now we did finally get onto an area that benefited him and, and helped him out and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and worked on some stuff, but, but it's, I just, I was amazed. I came home, I was telling my wife that I'm amazed at how many people just, just think that. Just think that, well, just, these have such a low opinion of the Word of God. That the Word of God just doesn't have that higher place in their life. It's amazed at the things that go on with that. But they're out there. They're soulless people. How many times you hear people and they found something in the Word of God and they're hanging on to that verse. I don't care what it came before, what came after. I like this verse. I like what it's saying to me today. That's a soulless person. You've got to get into the context. You've got to find out what did Jesus actually say? What did Paul actually say? What is Peter saying to you? Not what you get. That's a soulless person. They're feeding their soul. They're feeding their mind. They're feeding their emotions and they think it's the Spirit. You're not developing your spirit. You think you are? Just like you're doing them, them push-ups or those, um, or those shoulder exercises or those chest exercises on that machine. But you're cheating. You're not growing the right things. You're not helping yourself at all. It's the same thing here. Don't cheat. If you're going to grow spiritually, grow spiritually. Don't grow soulishly. It isn't going to help you out. So then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, at least they got to a place where somebody exhorted them. They got off of the soulish teaching and they got into the spirit teaching. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, that I am? That I the Son of Man am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Did he just get that then? I don't think so. Why do you think they've been following him? I think they had that before. You think they would have given up all their stuff if they just thought this is the guy? <laughs> and Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now we understand this section of Scripture has come into much interpretation. That He has given Peter the keys of the kingdom. He's given believers the keys of the kingdom. Because this is something we all can do. And it's not upon Peter that he's building the church. It's upon his confession. That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what the church is built on and not Peter. Glory to God for that. I'm sure Peter's saying the same thing. But... Uh, Peter got this swear in his spirit. He got it in his spirit that this is the Christ. He had that witness. This is the Christ. This is the Son of the living God. I'm going to follow after Him. Now look at verse 21. 
from that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. From that time. What was unique about this time that caused Jesus to change what He taught? Now understand in verses 5 through 11, verses 5 through 11, they're, they're hearing spiritual truths, but they're getting soulish things out of it. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, it wasn't necessarily the next day, but he's beginning to see the disciples are not totally in there, but they are getting things in their spirit and picking them up things in their spirit. And so from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Now let's take a look at these groups here again before we get into the rest of this part. And just in case he missed any things in your outline, hearing spiritually, they understood in the natural. We got to this point and said, Who do men say that I am? This is external stimulus. External things. Who do men say that I am? But who do you say that I am? Internal input. You've got to make sure that your internal input from your spirit outdoes the external stimulus you get from outside. When you can get to the place, spiritually, where your internal input, what comes into your spirit, over, overdoes what you get from the outside, you are building up your spirit man. There are three groups identified here in this in this part. The first group, we actually have them come out and say it. This is in verse 8. O you of little faith. If you are a person who receives soulish truths out of spiritual ones, he classifies you as one who has little faith. Now go to the group in verses 1 through 4. He calls them wicked and adulterous. I'd say no faith there. <laughs> I'd say that's a group of no faith. He didn't come out there and say that, but it sure seems to be. That's, that's the way he's classifying them. So that's not necessarily a good group to be in. And then verse 13 through 21, we have another one. And I put in here, he didn't identify them either. But before he called them little faith, so I'm going to say at this point, they are the people of some to more faith. Some to more, they have some faith, more faith, much faith, great faith, somewhere around there, but they got some to more. Some the great, whatever you want to put in there. They have something more than little. They're not no, they're not little. <laughs> they got they got more. When you build up your spirit, man, when you receive spiritual truths out of spiritual sayings, you are a person of greater faith. When you receive soulish truths out of spiritual, the Word of God says you are one of little faith. Being a soulish person affects your faith walk. Being an emotional person affects your faith walk. Why is that? Because you're still susceptible to outside stimuli and not internal. Person of great faith, person of some faith, more faith, whatever you want to label it as, is able to take what God says and do it, hold to it, walk in it, despite what everything else around is going on. So when the doctor comes and says, you're going to die, down in my spirit I say, I'm going to live. That's what God told me. 
person of great faith is one who listens to that and not to the other. Not going before God. Oh, God, the doctor said I'm going to die. Please help me. That's a soulish person. And if you come to God soulishly, how does He classify you? Little faith. Little faith. Let's not be one of those guys that's in the little faith. Well, hearing spiritually, they understood it in the natural. Then as we moved on, we see that hearing spiritually, they sometimes got it. Sometimes they got it. Sometimes they didn't. We're going to see where they didn't hear. So from that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Seems like he's, he's jumped back into the soulish realm. He's over there in the spiritual realm, now he's back over there in the soulish realm. He hasn't quite got to that point where his spirit has taken over. Just yet. He will get there eventually. Amen. But not, not just yet. He's over here. So now, but look at this. This is such a powerful verse. Verse 21 again. From that time, from that time, when he saw that they were beginning to get things in their spirit and operate by them, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Do the disciples hear what Jesus is saying? Then why was then why does Peter rebuke him? But he he heard it right. He heard it. So what is Jesus telling them? That first off, he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised. The third day. He has begun from this point on to tell them that I will be killed and I will be raised on the third day. They heard it enough that it got Peter upset and he pulls them aside and says, you shouldn't be talking this way. This isn't the way that you want to... you got a great ministry going on here. We're all... We've given up everything. We're following after you. Don't be talking about dying. Let's keep you on the, on the, on the, he's rebuking him for this, so he is hearing this. What happens when Jesus is crucified? Well, I guess it's over. It's a good run while we had it. Sure was, uh, thought we would make something out of this. I thought, it, I thought this was the guy. And they all went back to fishing and doing the other stuff. And then they heard the, the ladies come on back. He's, his body's not there. Would they all say, oh, he rose. What'd they say? Somebody stole him. So I know somebody stole him. Jesus has finally seen that they're in a place that they can hear this teaching, and he begins to bring out, all right, this is what's going on. This is what's happened. I'm telling you what is going to happen. And they don't hear it enough that it sets in so when it actually unfolds, they see it. I am amazed that the disciples do not see what happens. I mean, you just got to be totally amazed. 
These are supposed to be spiritual. They, these guys have walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Hearing the teachings of Jesus. You can't get any better than that. That's the best teacher in the world. Seeing the miracles of Jesus. Hearing all this stuff. All these things going on. And then all of a sudden, what he said happened. And what they do? Well, it's all over now. Let's go back to fishing. <laughs> Even when the, the body's gone. Well, I guess somebody stole them. Utterly amazing, isn't it? This is a soulish person. A soulish person cannot discern that they are soulish. They have no idea. They think they are spiritual. There is nothing more frustrating in this world than talking to a soulish person and trying to get them to understand they're soulish and all they see is spiritual. That's all they think. They, they think, I'm spiritual. I, I'm going in a spiritual way. I'm going in the right way. We've talked with people over the years. Get them turned on to the Word of God. They're following after the Word of God. The Word of God is ruling in their life. They're overcoming this. They're overcoming that. They're overcoming this over here. And then all of a sudden they get distracted. Get pulled into a soulish realm. Stop focusing in on the Word of God. Get around other people who feed this soulish area in them. They're not healed anymore. They're not set free anymore. They're not, they're walking under bondage again. And what do you, and what do you ask, if you ask them and say, how you doing? Oh, God is doing so much in my life. <laughs> I mean, to a T, they all come up that way. Because soulish people cannot discern that they're soulish people. Spiritual people can pick up, you are a soulish person. But they're not going to hear it. Peter, he is operating in a soulish realm and he rebukes Jesus. That is a person who has no clue they are soulish. They have no clue. I mean, he just said in this same chapter, he just said, you are the son of the living God. Let me, let me correct the son of the living God here for a moment. I know that you're the son of the living God and all that sort of, but you're wrong here. This isn't right. How can you do that? Soulish people are just very frustrating. It is really, really tough. But you can become a soulless person. You get so much into that emotional area and something happens. How many bad things happen? Fired up your emotions. Got you going on the thing. It's trying to pull you into a soulless realm. And spiritual people, folks, can be pulled into a soulless realm. You better understand that can happen. Spiritual people can be pulled into a soulless realm. I showed you it all here in one chapter. This one chapter just shows you the whole thing. Here's Peter. Walking in the area, disciples walking in the area of being soulish. Then walking in the area of being spiritual. Then walking in the area of being soulish again. I mean, not even skipping a beat. They can't tell a single thing different. They think it's all the same. They think this is normal way of being, normal way of going through life. But Jesus the whole time remains spiritual. Soulish people do not understand when they're in the soulish realm. You see, it's because they didn't have enough Word of God in them. You have got to get to the place, if you want to build up your spirit, you have got to get to a place where you do what the Word of God says, even when your emotions tell you to do different. 
And until you will stand up to your emotions, then put your emotions in line and say, emotions, I will not follow after you. My word, my Bible has said I will do this. The doctor comes and says you're going to die and your emotions go haywire. Oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You know what? First off, what is so bad about that? <laughs> I mean, come on. What is so bad about that? As the doctor comes to you and says you're going to die. Oh, no. No more taxes to pay. No more politicians to have to wrestle with. No more economies to have to battle with. No more job to have to go to. No more mortgage to have to pay. I mean, really, when you think about it, you're leaving this life to go into the next one. What is so bad about it? We could go to God and say, Can I? <laughs> Can I please? <laughs> is it okay if I just give in to this one and just come home? Huh? <laughs> but you know what we do? <laughs> you know what we do? <gasps> I can't die. Oh man, I, if I die. Oh no. I mean, first off, get your emotions out of it. And just get to a place. Well, if I do, glory to God, I'm going to be on the other side. I hear it's good over there. That's what I hear. I don't know. I haven't been there yet, but I hear it's good. So first off, get your emotions out of it. Just start taking a look at it. it says, you know what? That's not such a bad thing. Doctor comes to you and says, you're going to die. He says, oh, really? And you're not upset. The doctor says, how come you're not upset at this? He says, well, I know where I'm going. It's an awful good place up there. Awful good spot up there. I'm not really upset about that, but I'm not going to die anyway because the Word of God says I'm not. I'm going to be down on here and sickness and disease are not going to take my life. Kind of wish that they could because it's a nice place to go, but sickness and disease can't take my life. I'm still going to be here, Doc. Don't worry about it. And just get a hold of your emotions. Instead of, if, if you have to go away and pray for an hour, two hours to get your emotions under control, you are still a soulless person. That's fine just a minute, but understand that's your soulless area that's, getting, that's motivating you to pray for an hour. Get your emotions under control. That's your, that's your soul. It's not your spirit. Your spirit receives what the Word of God says. The Word of God says what? I'm healed? Alright, I'm healed. See, a spirit-controlled person hears the Word of God and just obeys it. Just listens. I'm healed? Alright, I'm healed. That's all I need to know. Now what do we want me to do next? And we just go on. I'm not ruled by all this stuff. They give you the news, you're laid off. <gasps> oh no. I mean, that's even worse because you're not going to heaven just yet. You're going to be down here on earth yet. But you have no money. But you have no money. Oh no. What are you going to do? See, don't, even in that situation, don't let your emotions rule you. Get a hold of your emotions. Father God, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go for work? What do I need to get, to get doing? And God says, go out there, do this. Go over here, do Alright, I'll go over there and do it. Don't build up your soul. Build up your spirit. Every time you get one of those things that comes your way, you have an opportunity to build up your spirit, man. Every single time. Or you can build up your soul, this person. Whichever one you want to do. It's your choice. You can build up one, you can build up the other. 
But you build up your soul. When you need your spirit, your soul is going to be fighting you. You build up your spirit and your soul wants to bring its ugly head up and don't have a chance. Your spirit's stronger. You will not get rid of your soul. You will not get rid of your emotions. You will not get rid of your mind. Just like you will not get rid of your flesh. You will not get rid of your body. It will be here. But the stronger of the three needs to be your spirit. That needs to be the stronger of the three. Get your spirit built up. Setbacks will come. You'll have times when you give into your soulless realm and you thought it was your spirit. You'd be like Elijah and be out there hollering to God about all the good things you did. About all your, your resume. Who you are for God. All this stuff. God's most ten most important people. And how you're all of them. He's got no one but you. <laughs> no. Nope. As soon as you go on, He'll be replacing you with someone else. You don't worry about it. But here you have Peter. Back and forth. The disciples back and forth. Soulish spirit. Soulish spiritual. And you will have that. You will come to a place when you get born again, you'll be back and forth. Soul, spirit. Because your soul's been built up for a long time. But you got to build up your spirit, man. you got to build up your, your spirit, man. But go back to that verse in Proverbs. Let your spirit teach your mouth what to say. Let your heart teach your mouth what to say. Don't let your soul do it. You get in there, you do that, you build up your soul. Don't build up your soul. Soul's strong enough. We need to make it weaker. Let's get our, our spirit man going. Get those things under control. I'm sure that there's something else on here that I didn't fill out just yet, so let me just take a look. Just because I don't know what something revealed means doesn't mean I can't tell where it came from. You can learn when something is revealed in your spirit by building up your spirit man. And you can tell that came from my spirit. That was the spirit of God who revealed that to me. I don't know what it means. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it yet. But that came to my spirit. I know the difference. It didn't come to my mind. It didn't come into my soul area, my emotions. It came into my spirit. I know it did. I just don't know what it is yet. It's all right. Just because you don't know what it means doesn't mean you don't know where it came from. If the source is God, action. Have action on the things. That, if God speaks, if God says something to you, I don't care if you totally understand it. Do it. Get it done. If the source is God, there should be action. Get out there and act on the thing. Have action at it. Alright, God, I know this came from you. If God says, don't go to the super fresh, go to the giant. Now I know Candace will be over there and she'll be saying, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but if down in your spirit, you're going over to the super fresh and down in your spirit, he says, go over to the giant. I don't necessarily understand why, but I know it came from my spirit. I don't need total understanding of it. I just need to go out there and do it. Might be a giant has a sale that, or the super fresh, or yeah, a giant has a sale that super fresh didn't have, and you ended up saving some money. Might be there's somebody at the giant you needed to minister to. But you don't need understanding on it. You just know it came to my spirit, man. It didn't come to my emotions, it came to my spirit. And you obey it. You build up your spirit, man. So if the source is God, action.
If not, shun. Shun it. Shun the thing. Action or shun it. Whichever. S-H-U-N. Shun it. Don't go after it. No, that's, I don't, I don't need any understanding on that. I know where it came from. I don't need to do that. Either, either have action or shun. I'm not going to go after that one. Nope, no, nope. nope. Uh, but identify the source. When you build up your spirit man, you can easily identify the source of where it came from. That came to my spirit. That came to my, that's in my spirit. That, that, can come to my, that came to my emotions. That's, that's in my soulish realm. Well, I, you have different, different responses that way. But when it comes to your spirit, I don't care if you have any understanding of it at all, do it. Because you build up your spirit, man. You show God, God, I'm going to obey my spirit. I'm going to do what you said to do. I'm going to go after that thing. Down in your spirit, you're getting ready to go somewhere and down your spirit, he says, wait. If you can't tell the difference between your spirit and your soul, you say, well, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to go now. I'm not re- responding in fear. I'm not afraid of stuff. I'm going out there now. And you go out there thinking that you're, you're doing the right thing. You operate in the soulless realm. You didn't understand it came to your spirit. God says to your spirit, wait. You don't ask questions. You wait all night if you have to. But the store is closing in 10 minutes. Wait. You don't ask questions. When it comes to your spirit, you just do it. That's what you got to do. You got to build up your spirit, man. Get your spirit, man, that strong. Then when that thing comes, you identify it. That's, that's spirit. And it won't play hard. You don't have to be praying for an hour to figure out that I come to my spirit, that I come to my soul. I don't know where it came. I don't know what to do. You build up your spirit, man. You can instantly tell. That's a spirit thing. The better you build it up, the more you build it up, the more you can tell. This is something I need to act on. This is something I need to go after. Father, we thank you for the leading that you give us. But down in our spirit, we're listening to you. Down in our spirit, when we hear from you, we act on it immediately. If not, we shun the thing. We don't operate under that way. We don't go that direction. Your spirit tells us something to our spirit and we don't have total understanding, it's okay, we can still obey. Because we know it came from you. So help us, Father, to not build up our our soulish man, to build up our spirit man. To not keep following after things that feel good, things that pursue our that our emotions pursue, things that our mind pursues, but go after those things that's in our spirit. That's what we need to do. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us on it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.